This is the Simi Sarah Show On Demand. Subscribe now on iTunes. Listen to the show each weekday 10 to 2 on 980 CKNW and through the Radio Player app. Thanks for being with us. Well, before the break, we were talking about the lockdown in Italy. We were chatting with the European Bureau Chief with the Globe and Mail, who is based in Rome. He is under quarantine in that lockdown. One of the big questions, though, is will these drastic measures work? We've seen in China a slowdown of the spread of the virus Will it work that the lockdown in Italy and other places that are banning large gatherings, uh, people who are uh, more in tune with what's happening, will that actually stop the spread of this virus? Well, let's bring in Maciek Bauni, Associate Professor of Biology at the Pennsylvania State University. Maciek, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks very much for having me on. Uh, You've written about this and tried to look at it, the numbers uh, that we have as far as infections, uh, the number of deaths. Are we able to take that information and get a better idea about where things might go? So where things go does depend largely on us, as you just outlined to your listeners. If we put in very strict and very, you know, even extreme measures to limit our social contacts, to cancel events, we will be able to slow down, probably not stop, but we will be able to slow down the spread of the epidemic. And that's really good because when you slow it down, you do several things. You reduce the total number of people that are infected. You reduce the strain on the healthcare system and you allow more time for a vaccine to get ready. So do you think then, uh, given that, that we're doing enough? Well, this uh, every country has its own story. I mean, I'm based in the U.S. and I don't think we're doing enough right now. We've, um, for example, we've had uh, some parade cancellations. Boston canceled its St. Patrick's Day parade, but New York and Chicago, as of this morning, hadn't done so. So every place is responding differently. And I don't know what sort of serious events it's going to take to have everyone realize that working from home, canceling events, limiting our social contacts, this is the only way to take each of us out as a link in a transmission chain to help slow the whole thing down. And you mentioned, too, in the the response from the United States, there has been some question as well, even uh, where we are in B.C., just south of the border in Washington state, there have been several deaths in one long-term care facility. I think there's a new death today at another facility. Uh, There's been questions there, officials saying they don't have the number of testing kits they need, and it does seem like more could have been done in, in those scenarios. That's right. So sending out the testing kits in the U.S. happened too late, so at a point where there were likely already hundreds of uh, cases inside the country. And it's also important to remember that there were regulations on which types of uh, cases should be tested, which I don't think was the right approach. In a scenario like this, where you have an emerging epidemic that's potentially dangerous, especially to older individuals, uh, physicians should feel free to test an individual, even if there's a you know, a hunch that that older individual may be at risk of having coronavirus and thus may be at risk for progressing to something serious like pneumonia. We talk a lot about, or we're talking to health officials uh, in BC, our provincial, our chief medical officer is a doctor who dealt with SARS. Uh, She's worked with Ebola. She's worked with pandemics in the past and talks on what uh, really draws from those experiences, saying that what we learned from that, that information, that knowledge is being put into play here. Uh, Do you think we are, are we responding given the knowledge that we have learned from these previous outbreaks? Well, there really hasn't been an outbreak like this one since the Spanish flu of 1918. So the SARS outbreak was containable. SARS wasn't transmissible enough, which is why we were able to stop it at about 8,000 cases. 
But this virus has already caused 8,000 cases in, in multiple different countries, and it's much too transmissible to just stop by, put, by putting some uh, early contact tracing and early isolation measures into place. So knowing that and knowing that we've already failed to stop it, our next priority is making sure that individuals who are vulnerable, so individuals over 60, over 70, our parents and our grandparents, that these individuals receive the best advice to protect themselves, to cancel some social gatherings, to maybe not spend time with the grandchild if the grandchild is showing symptoms and is potentially infected. I think this is where most of our priorities should lie over the next several months. Uh, Excuse me, the numbers when it comes to the fatality rate seems to change depending on which math you're using or which report you're looking at. Are we able to look at something like this when clearly there are a lot of cases out there that are still undetected and get a good idea on what the fatality rate is? That's right. There are two fatality rates that are reported in the news. The case fatality rate, that's the probability of dying if you have symptoms and and are reporting to a hospital. And the infection fatality rate, which is what we care about, the infection fatality rate is the probability of dying if you get infected at all. And that number, the infection fatality rate, right now is estimated to be between 0.5% and 1%. And that doesn't sound like a very high number. It sounds like 99% of people make it, which is true. But 1% of millions and millions of infections is a lot. So if we let this epidemic just run through a country or run through a city, 1% of all infections means we are going to see a large increase in the number of deaths. And, and do you know, how does that compare to a yearly flu fatality rate? The yearly flu infection fatality rates range from 0.02% to 0.05%. So they're about 10 to 20 times lower. Uh, and, and what do you take from, from that information then as far as, again, what the response should be? Well, I think, uh, as I mentioned, it's a little bit too late to stop it. So in the U.S., it's spreading in more than 30 states. I, I'm not sure in which Canadian provinces it started to spread, but it sounds like Canada has more than 100 cases as well. So the, the best thing we can do now is to slow it down. So for your listeners, if they follow some of this stuff on Twitter, the best hashtag to follow on Twitter is called flatten the curve. And if you manage to uh, do all these things, all, take all these precautionary hygiene measures for a long time, washing your hands, canceling some birthday parties, working from home, and you remove yourself as a link from the epidemic chain, and if other people do that as well, then over a long period of time, we'll slow down and flatten the epidemic. And that basically means that fewer people will get infected. And that's what we should try to achieve over the next six months. Uh, Does that also mean, though, uh, stopping travel? Because the only way that this thing is moving from country to country is by people carrying it. That's true, but for most countries, it's too late. So there are 100 countries that have had introduced cases, and there's probably uh, several dozen countries that are already in full-fledged epidemics and community transmission. So I think we're already past that point. All right. Uh, Good advice uh, and interesting uh, uh, ways of breaking down the numbers. We will leave it there. Uh, Machek, thank you so much for your time today and for joining us. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. All right. Machek Boney is an associate professor of biology at Pennsylvania State University.